0: hello and welcome to the denali lord nutrition and wellness podcast my name is denali lord i'm the author and host of this podcast i'm a registered dietitian fitness professional and mindset coach today we're here to talk about to count or not count your macros a registered dietitian's perspective Psst, that would be mine <laughs> as you guys know or if you don't know i am a registered dietitian i have been since 2010 a brief educational background about me i have two degrees in nutrition from auburn university war eagle and i completed my dietetic internship through the university of alabama so i have about oh a lep no, how many years, eight years, eight, almost nine years of education in nutrition and dietetics. That is to say, I do not know everything. Nutrition is an ever evolving field and boy, does it keep us on our toes, which is why we're here today with our topic of to count or not to count our macros. So let's just dive into it. What the heck are macros? So if you look online, you look on social media, all these fitness and wellness influencers are talking about track your macros and do this and do that. Well, what the hell is a macro? A macro is derived from the Greek word markos and it's just short for macronutrients. Basically, people are too lazy to type out or say macronutrients. So I am going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the super ultra nerd that I am. We're gonna call them macronutrients, which is scientifically what they are. So what are macronutrients? They are nutrients that we get from our food and they include protein, fat, and carbohydrates. Macronutrients are essential, meaning that we got to eat them so we can stay alive, so we can carry out functions like building muscle, having a normal metabolism, building bone mass, healing, protecting ourselves through our immunity, our brain to send all these kind of signals to the rest of our body, our heart to beat. Okay, you get the picture. We need these for our body to function. If we don't have them, we cease to exist as humans. Really can do two things for us. They help us to understand how many calories we're eating a day, so the caloric composition, And they also help us understand the composition of our food, meaning that are you eating a really high protein to fat and carbohydrate ratio? Or maybe you're eating a really high carbohydrate to lower fat and lower protein ratio. So ideally, these ratios are balanced. I won't quite say they're a third and a third and a third, but it's it's balanced because when we start to have too much of one food group, as you guys will soon learn, that does not do good things to our body. So by counting our macronutrients or macro counting, people can better understand not only how many calories they're eating, but the composition of what they're eating. So next, I'd like to talk about each macronutrient briefly and why we need it and how we can calculate either the grams or the amount of a macronutrient that we need and relay that into calories because grams are important, they're important uh, unit of measurement in food, but we in the United States, um, not being on the metric system, we use less of the metric system and more of our own American units of measurement. So I I just want to preface that. All right, because I know a lot of you guys listen internationally, which I love. So this is all from a US measurement perspective. All right, so carbohydrates. I feel like these guys really get a bad rap. I mean, you know, one day you're reading something and you're like, carbs. You got to have them in the next minute. They're like carbs. They lead to diabetes, heart disease, this and that inflammation. They cause insomnia and a whole plethora of things. There will be another podcast at another time where we really dive into carbs. But I just want to say carbs are not the bad guy. In fact, carbs are our bodies, especially our brains, preferred source of energy. I'm i to say that again. Carbohydrates are our brain's preferred source of energy. Why? Out of all the macronutrients, protein, fat, and carbs, carbohydrates are the easiest for us to digest. So think about something uh, like a simple carb, something that has mostly glucose and maybe a little bit of another type of um, carbohydrate. So maybe it's milk. You've got Glucose and lactose, right? Two very simple types of carbohydrates. Milk is liquid, therefore it's very easily digested. And milk is actually a wonderful recovery snack, just FYI. So carbohydrates, they allow for a quick, very explosive, rapid response which we need that at times. Think about when your energy levels are bonking and you're like, I really need something. Are you gonna go for something like, oh, I'm gonna eat this chicken thigh? No, you're probably naturally, without even thinking about it, you're gonna go for something like candy or chips or maybe a piece of fruit or a glass of milk, something that is mostly carbohydrates that will spike that blood sugar up and get you going. And there are times when we need that. There are other times when that's counterproductive. There are many types of carbohydrates, ranging from complex, think about your pastas, think about your different types of lettuce that take longer to digest. And then there are simple carbohydrates, fruit, candy, things that are more quickly absorbed. So we need a mixture of both simple and complex carbohydrates. I will say that um, leafy green vegetables are complex carbohydrates. They do contain fewer calories than something like whole wheat pasta or couscous, even though those are still healthy complex carbohydrates. So, here's the question everybody wants to know how much of our diets should be carbohydrates? Well, the exact number does depend on the individual and their overall lifestyle and activity level in general, the more active a person is, the more they exercise, the more they need calorically and the more carbohydrates they will need. So it's important to consider, does this person have a job where they're on their feet, they're walking to 12 hours a day are they a mailman do they work in a, a retail store or do they have a desk job where they're sitting most of the day so we have to take that activity level into account not just exercise but their whole day by day function all right another really important factor i think that gets overlooked is how much muscle mass someone has the more muscle mass you have, the better you are at tolerating carbohydrates, which I, I got to call I I got to call a group out. So you may be very much into lifting weights. Maybe you're a professional bodybuilder. Guess what? You actually need a lot of carbs and oftentimes bodybuilders are on such strict carbohydrate restricted diets they're not actually getting the carbohydrates that they need to help their tissues heal and to either help them bulk or cut, especially in the cutting phase. So really, what percentage of our diet do we need? Well, the American Dietetics Association by um, the recommended daily allowance for adults ages 19 to 59, need 45 to 65% of their daily caloric needs from carbohydrates. Now, as mentioned earlier, we want to be choosy with the type of carbohydrate. We want it to be complex, or if it's going to be simple, we want it to be fruit and dairy. If you can tolerate dairy, we want to avoid or limit uh, simple carbohydrates that are coming from processed things like chips and crackers um baked goods, cookies, pies, cakes, things that have less nutritional value, meaning there's less vitamins, less minerals, things that are going to improve someone's health. So again, we're aiming for 45 to 65% of our daily caloric needs are coming from carbohydrates. So if you eat a 2000 calorie diet, this means you're going to have between 900 and 1300 calories a day coming from carbohydrate sources. I can guarantee you, I'm already scaring some of you guys that are on a like 1200 to 1500 calorie diet, which again, when you are ready, I highly encourage you to talk to a registered dietitian because well... A topic for another another episode, but calorie-restricted diets, very scary. Uh, just to give you guys a, a number, our brains alone need 125 grams of carbohydrates a day to function. And the recommended daily allowance of carbohydrates is somewhere between 225 and 325 grams a day. That's that 45 to 65% of your total calories. Now, how did I get that? So carbohydrates provide four calories per gram. So for example, say you eat a food that has 25 grams of carbohydrates. You take 25 and you multiply it by four. You get a hundred calories of carbohydrates from this food that contains 25 grams. Okay. So that's where I got that. So it, it is helpful to know that conversion. And you can look on the American Dietetic Association. You can look at Mayo Clinic. You can look at the recommended daily intake for adults. And these are all based on U.S. numbers uh, for my folks that don't live in the U.S., just in case you're wondering where the heck I get it from. But usually my, so my accrediting body is the American Dietetic Association. So that's where I get 99% of my stuff. Sometimes I'll look um, either at Mayo Clinic or Harvard, you know, places that do some research. I, I try to make my stuff credible and up to date. All right, guys, so hopefully that explains carbohydrates. They're not the bad guy, we need them. I will say your brain alone, just your brain needs 125 grams of carbohydrates. So not to pick on my bodybuilder group, but if you're in a cutting phase, please, 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 please consume at least 125 grams of carbohydrates a day. Okay. For your brain's sake. Cause if that beautiful little noggin cannot think everything else, gets put on the back burner, which is one reason why if you've ever done a cutting phase, you feel like complete garbage, right? It's not a very fun process and it's certainly not someplace your body can stay out for a long period of time. Okay, moving on to protein. So proteins, they contain the amino acids or the building blocks of our muscle. And proteins do so many things, like help repair tissues, they help build new tissues and cells, uh, they compose our DNA. They're also, of course, essential for us to maintain our muscle mass, or build it, our immunity. If we don't eat enough protein, we will not have good immunity. So my vegetarians and vegans, listen up, make sure you're getting enough protein in your diet to keep you healthy. They're a big part of our hormone and cell signaling regulation, as well as other essential functions like hair production. If you are someone that has struggled with hair loss or hair thinning, it could be something as simple as you're not eating enough protein. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. So like carbohydrates, proteins only provide four, I shouldn't say only, but they provide four calories per gram of protein. Meaning that if you had a food that provided 10 grams of protein, you would get 40 calories from the protein in the food. So how much protein do you need to eat each day? Protein that each person needs does depend on their gender, their sex, their activity level, and their age. Different ages, different stages in the life cycle have different protein requirements. Other important factors to consider with protein is someone's medical needs. If you're injured, especially if you have burns or a torn muscle, something that's not just a sunburn, but think something that you've been hospitalized for, okay, trauma to the body you need more protein you need more protein than the average person who's out walking around enjoying the sun okay you need that to help your body repair those tissues recommended daily intake for protein is somewhere between 10 to 35 percent again depending upon the person's activity level age sex and if they have a medical condition with that being said on a gram per kilogram, slightly different unit of measurement, it's 0.8 to 1.2 grams of protein per kilogram. Now, remember, there are 2.2 pounds in one kilogram. So this is 0.36 to 0.54 grams of protein per pound of body weight. I will say that the recommendations for protein are conservative, and that is because as Americans as a whole, we are more sedentary compared to other cultures and other countries. And a good bit of our population is in that kind of baby boomer where we're 55 and older. And so typically as you age, your protein requirements increase. Okay. So point eight is a guideline for individuals who are sedentary, but they don't have a disease or an injury. Okay. If there's a disease or an injury, that's going to be very different. In fact, those of you who do have an injury or have a medical condition, you might've been hospitalized, in which case A dietitian was probably working with you or a pharmacist to calculate a very specific amount of protein, especially if you had a tube feeding or if you were fed intravenously. So in general, I recommend talking to a registered dietitian when determining your exact protein needs. In fact, I don't even really feel comfortable giving a recommended general amount because protein is just so specific. I will tell you that people who are conscious of how much protein uh, to eat, they tend to overeat it. Now, typically, the overconsumption of protein, it's not going to necessarily harm someone. Protein, like carbohydrates or like fat, when eaten in excess, well, anything eaten in excess that doesn't get utilized by your body, guess what it turns into? It turns into fat, okay? Any macronutrient that is not utilized does get converted into fat. That's just human metabolism. But we do have to be careful if someone has kidney or liver issues or just some kind of metabolic disorder where they cannot metabolize protein correctly. Um, Elevated levels of protein in the kidneys, in the bloodstream, it will throw off our body's pH balance and it can cause kidney failure or kidney disease, which is not something that anyone wants. Remember our kidneys, act as a filter. They're basically two filters that sit kind of right above the posterior side of our hips, or posterior lateral side of our hips, and they help to filter out our blood, they protect us, but too much protein is very hard for the kidneys to break down. In fact, remember how I was telling you carbohydrates are the easiest macronutrient to break down? Protein is the hardest. So we do have to be mindful of that. And if you're someone who's eating, you know, 160 to 200 grams of protein a day, you really need to have a good reason why. And there are good reasons. Elderly burns, endurance athletes, you need that extra fuel. Powerlifters, it's it's questionable. It it really is. Again, I know this, this is an unpopular opinion, but you have to hear me out power lifters, you are doing such short explosive movements. You're utilizing a metabolic system such as ATP, glucose 6-phosphate system. You need carbs. Carbs are going to be your best friend. I'm not saying you don't need protein, but your carbohydrate resource is going to be a better pool for those quick explosive one rep maximum. You still need the protein to help rebuild and repair the tissue, but carbohydrates are really crucial, which is why cutting on your carbohydrates is so stinking scary. Okay, so when in doubt, you're going to talk to a registered dietitian, someone like me, who can help you dial in to exactly what you need. Fat. So fat, kind of like carbs, That's not the bad guy. I know since I was a little girl, since the eighties, we had low fat to basically fat free diets, which are scary because fat serves in a multitude of roles. Fat helps to insulate and protect our organs. It helps us to provide body heat. It also helps to store and helps to carry out metabolic reactions that you utilize fat-soluble vitamins. Those fat-soluble vitamins are vitamins A, D, E, and K. Also, fats are part of cell membranes. We need the cell wall to have that layer of fat to help protect your cells against foreign bodies that could be doing damage. Fats also help regulate hormones. They're part of the reproductive cycle. They help with intracellular signaling and they're also a very important part of cognition. So bottom line, we need fats in moderation in order to live a healthy and happy life. Now too much fats, just like anything else, is not good for us. Too much fat can lead to obesity, heart disease, uh, inflammatory diseases like Alzheimer's, dementia, liver disease, arthritis, diabetes, I could go on and on, but We really do have to be very careful with the amount of fat we are consuming. So on average, the recommended dietary guidelines for total fat is 20 to 35% of your daily calories. And for saturated fat, it's 10% or less fat. Total fat is the sum of all the fats that we eat. Think unsaturated, monounsaturated, saturated fats, and even trans fats. So if you take a box of food, like a cereal box or a pasta box or chip container, look at the nutrition label, and it will say total fat. Depending upon the food manufacturer, it will say something like saturated fat, and then it might even have something like monounsaturated fat, polyunsaturated fat, and trans fat. All food companies do that. They do have to list the saturated fat, but some of them will go into more detail about the other types of um, unsaturated fats, which are going to be your polyunsaturated and your monounsaturated fats. So how much fat should we be eating? Again, it's about 20 to 35% of total calories for your total fat and saturated fat is 10% or less. So for your total fat, this is about 400 to 700 calories. And for your saturated fat, it's about 200 calories if you are consuming a 2000 calorie diet. For fat, I definitely encourage people to look at the nutrition label. This is one where whether you're tracking your macronutrients or not, fat I think kind of throws everyone into a bit of a loop. And here's why. laws have been passed to help make food labels easier to understand, but to also be more transparent, especially when it comes to fats. So trans fats is a type of fat that is man-made, meaning that it is only found in man-made foods. These foods include baked goods like pastries, donuts, cakes, pies, dough or pie crust, cereals, Pretty much anything that's processed that can stay on a shelf for a while, trans fats are going to be involved. The scary thing about trans fats is that, legally, they can, food companies can round down if it's half a gram or less. Now, normally, if it's 0.5 or more, we round up, right? That's the, mul- the rule that we learned in math. Well. I don't know what genius decided that if they were at 0.5, they could round down, but this genius did. So if you're eating a diet that is very high in processed foods, very high in processed breads or chips or crackers, candies, pastries, it actually adds up. And you may be eating more than the two and a half grams of recommended trans fat or less a day. And trans fat has a direct correlation with heart disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's, scary things that we really don't want. So how do you check to see if there is trans fat in your food? Well, if you take that same label, um, cereal boxes are a good option or chips or crackers because often they do have trace amounts of trans fats in them. So start to look at the total fat, then look at the saturated fat, and you can kind of do a little bit of mental math there and see if there's a difference. If they have other subcategories like unsaturated fats, your polyunsaturated fats, your monounsaturated fats, okay, then you can start to do a little bit more mental math. If they don't, though, then you will just take into account that the total fat minus the saturated fat, you've got your polyunsaturated fats. It gets a little bit harder to determine the trans fats, but sometimes it's very clear. It may say trans fat zero, but then when you start doing the math, you're like, huh, when I add up the poly monosaturated fat, it doesn't equal the total fat because it should. That's where you have trans fats. And food manufacturers can be a little sneaky. Legally, they're supposed to Disclose it, but do they try to put it into a gray area by having that rounding rule for sure? 100% my friends, 100% my friends. All right. So let's talk about as a dietitian, when would I encourage people to count their macronutrients? I think counting your macronutrients for understanding the composition of what you're eating. Is your diet higher in fat? Is your diet higher in carbohydrates? Is it higher in protein? When you're trying to understand your diet, not just for a how many calories in versus how many calories out, I think it's extremely valuable. So if you're new to understanding food composition or understanding even how many calories you're eating or the types of calories you're eating, whether that's coming from more fat than protein or more protein than carbohydrates and fat. Count your macros. I'm not saying this is something that you wanna do for the rest of your life. Maybe you try it for a week. You can always try something for a week. Counting macronutrients can be very cumbersome and very detailed, and oftentimes it's um, ambiguous because, well, you have to factor into the the credibility of the platform that you're using because it's, it's not a hundred percent accurate. There's still errors. Anything that's done by a human, it's prone to error. You would also want to consider counting your macronutrients if you are training for an athletic event. So maybe you are prepping for a body building competition. Maybe you're prepping for a marathon or a century bike ride. You definitely want to be aware of not only how many calories you're eating, but what is composing those calories because that will help you recover and ultimately impact your performance in that event. As mentioned earlier, you. I encourage people to count their macros if they have an injury, if they have a broken bone, a muscle that's pulled or burns. Now, the broken bone, the burns, and depending upon the severity of the pulled muscle, you might be hospitalized. And at the hospital, during your treatment, they will do this for you. You can always ask to talk to the dietitian, and she'll, she or he will go over it with you. Um, but it's important to be just aware of what you're eating especially if you've got those injuries you do want to have a little bit higher than you would normally eat protein amount and remember the dietitian is going to be the best person to give you that amount also if you have medical conditions like diabetes heart disease kidney disease definitely uh, keeping track of your macronutrient composition is going to be really helpful. Folks with diabetes, you're working on the types of carbohydrates that you're having, obviously focusing on more of those complex carbohydrates and the timing of that. Folks with kidney disease, they're eating more of a higher carbohydrate diet, but they have to be very particular with protein because as mentioned earlier, protein is not easily metabolized and someone with a kidney that doesn't function quite that well, protein is very hard on the kidneys. So really anytime that you want to better understand the composition of what you're eating, you want to educate yourself, count your macros. Now vice versa. When would you not want to track your macros as a dietitian? I have seen all kinds of behaviors when it comes to food. I have seen some disordered behaviors, especially when it comes to counting calories or keeping track of the macronutrient composition. So if you've noticed that your thoughts and your behavior has become rather obsessive with tracking and on the days that you forget to track, you get really angry, you get upset, it ruins your whole day. You might want to consider not tracking for a while and getting some professional help, maybe with a therapist, maybe with a registered dietitian and Another time that uh, would be a good time to pause on counting macronutrients is if you're starting to feel ashamed, if you have really strong emotions tied to counting your macronutrients. Maybe you, you had a quote unquote cheat day where you had foods that were high processed foods, lower in vitamins and minerals than maybe what your body needed and it made you very upset and you're like, well, I don't even want to track this then maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you're not in the best state of mind to track it because oftentimes when we fixate or when we ruminate on things that either didn't go our way, it can lead to disordered habits, disordered thinking, disordered eating that it may come across as really small, but it's that act of repeating that mindset over and over and over again that leads to a bigger problem. And another time when you would not want to track your macros is if you feel like you have come to an understanding of, okay, I know on average, I eat roughly X calories. I have X percentage of food coming from protein, fat, and carbohydrates. If you feel confident, there's really not a reason to track your macros. It's instead going to become a very cumbersome and tiring thing. This may seem obvious, but if you're not interested in tracking, don't do it. Personally, I don't track my macronutrient composition. Here's why. I exercise for about an hour a day. I know that I have a very active lifestyle. I have tracked it. I tracked it for a month. It was very time-consuming, but I had a I did it for a long enough time and I have a good enough understanding of what I'm eating. And how i'm eating that i don't need to do it i also many years ago um, during adolescence i struggled with disordered eating and a lot of that did come from tracking calories at the time so for me tracking macronutrients for a long period of time can be a little triggering so it's just me keeping myself in check of not overdoing it right finding that balance so, really, as a dietitian, I think that counting your macronutrients, keeping track of them, is something that can be helpful in the short term. Now, if you have a medical condition like diabetes, like kidney disease, you'll be working with a dietitian or with your doctor to help you keep track of these. And that's something that you'll need to do on a longer term basis. But for the general healthy population, tracking your macronutrients. You can always start with one week. You can work your way up to a month. For most people, a month gives you enough variety in your diet that you can see a little bit of a calorie fluctuation. You can notice trends. You might notice that on the weekends, your diet is completely different than during the week. That's a very interesting thing to notice. Or maybe you have a Tendency to drink alcohol during certain days or certain times of the week. So it can be really educational and insightful. So, really, the biggest thing with tracking and counting your macronutrients is your intention behind it. If you have good intentions, it's for education. It's not something that uh, you're doing out of obsession or you feel guilty that you have to do this. You're doing it for the right reasons. If you're starting to get emotional with it, you're starting to feel shame or guilt or just frustrated with it, that's a great signal to stop. doesn't mean you don't have to do it ever again, but you just stop for a while. Start by not tracking your food for one week and go off that intuitive eating habits instead. If this scares the you-know-what out of you, this is a great prompt to talk with a registered dietitian and or a therapist, psychologist, or psychiatrist. Mindset and food go hand in hand. All right, guys, that's all I have for you today. This one was a little bit longer, but as you can tell, macronutrients, they really are a hot topic right now. And I encourage you to make that decision for yourself. Don't just follow whatever the latest and greatest fitness influencer tells you to do, but make that educated decision for yourself. Ultimately, you know your body better than any professional. And if it works for you, continue to do so. I've given you some of those parameters where you can make the judgment call of if it's not working for you or if you need to reach out for help. If you guys have any questions, any feedback, please feel free to reach out to me at info at denalilore.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day and I'll talk to you guys soon.